Pretty straightforward. I think Oregon has the best group of running backs in the Pac-12. I'll tell you why. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you haven't already, please like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions apply. So, with the season approaching, there are several position group breakdowns that we're going to get to on today's show. Running backs, O-line, receivers, tight ends, we got mailbag and a little bit of Arizona State talk for that matchup later in the year. So we're absolutely positively jam-packed as can be, like a sardines can on today's show. Let's start with the running backs. They're the best group in the Pac-12. Now, there is an argument with the reigning freshman of the year over uh, across the way in Corvallis at Oregon State and Damian Martinez that that's the best overall back in the Pac. I would actually be open to that argument. We know that he is very good. But if you were talking about depth, if you're talking about versatility, production, and projected production, I don't think there's a group in the pack better than Oregon. And you just go down the list. You have Nikia Watson up at Washington State. He's fine, but he wouldn't be a top three back at, at Oregon. I don't think. He'd probably be the number three back, maybe, because I think Jordan James is actually quite good. Washington lost their projected number one running back, Cam Davis, for the year. Wasn't going to be as talented as Oregon anyway. USC's got Austin Jones. I actually like their backup Hudson a bit more, but Jones is a solid back. But I don't think either, either of those guys are plus running backs compared to Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington. UCLA brought in a talented transfer in Carson Steele. They've got Keegan Jones fighting for the backup there. I think there's some solid versatility and potential there. But if you're talking about proven production at the Power 5 level, Carson Steele's coming over from Ball State. Highly coveted transfer. I think he can be good. But I am more certain about what Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington can do as a unit. Jaden Ott down at Cal is really, really good. There isn't the depth. They did bring in a good-looking transfer from Tennessee. But again, the depth and high-end talent is not there. Though Jaden Ott is fantastic down for the Cal California Golden Bears. I don't even know who's going to be the running back at Stanford this year. We don't even need to discuss it. Colorado, talent isn't there. I think the one that's closest, honestly, is Utah. Jaquindon Jackson and, and Makai Bernard, that's a really, really potent tandem. Now, they, again, don't have as proven of a track record as Irving and Whittington do. Irving went just over 1,000 yards a year ago. Whittington came very close. They were a dynamic duo. And then you factor in the Jordan James component, and Sean Dollars was a good piece for the offense to have last year. I think that I give the edge to Oregon by just a little bit there. They're different runners, right? They all have kind of a unique style, and they, they produce yards and are good for their teams in different ways. But when you look at the pass-catching capability, when you look at the ability to run between the tackles, outside the tackles, the pass-blocking that both guys pick up, don't ever forget that Bucky Irving was the key piece to that game-winning touchdown against North Carolina. If he doesn't throw a block on a blitzer up the middle, guess what? 
we probably end the season nine and four instead of 10 and three. And that would not have felt as good. I would not feel as great today. So shout out to Bucky Irving for that particular play and many other great ones he had in the game. I think Bucky Irving is the hardest guy to tackle in the conference. I think Whittington, his low center of gravity and just kind of bowling ball style is really, really good. Both guys are good pass catchers. I think Whittington has the edge in that sense coming from Western Kentucky last year in the air raid offense, but both had plays that they made in the passing game. Irving had uh, a receiving touchdown. I think he had a, a couple last year. I know he had one long one against Cal. He had the long one against UCLA. Whittington had a long one uh, against Cal too. Like they, they both are capable of doing that. And when you look at the the versatility that they bring, whether it's between the tackles, outside the tackles, pass blocking, pass catching, whatever is asked of them, they really give you all of that. They can hit big plays in the ground game. They can pick up tough yards. They can do everything that is asked of them. And there's not uh, a group of running backs down at the Arizona schools this year that that are even close to these guys. I, I think the biggest competition in the pack for, well, you know, who's got the best tandem is Damian Martinez and whoever they end up having as the number two guy at Oregon State. And I think Jaquinda Jackson, Makai Bernard over at, at Utah. But I think those two and supplemented by Jordan James, that that's just such a dynamic trio. And I hope it looks exactly the same as it did last year. Bucky's 1A, Noah's 1B, play the hot hand, Jordan James is your short yardage or goal line back because he can go in there with reckless abandon, put his head down, not try and you know, protect himself or anything like that. Running backs don't do that too often anyway, but that is what James was really good at. And I think complimenting Irving and Whittington there gives Oregon the best running back group in the entire conference. Is it a passing world in college football? Sure. But can you do a lot with great running backs? You can. And we saw that last year. I think we will see that again last year. And the Ducks have got the best unit. And to go three deep like they can, you know, if either Irving or Whittington have to miss a game, I, I'm, I'm very high on Jordan James. He can be more and perhaps will be next year than just a short yardage back. He showed that in spurts, but he runs hard. He is tough. He is physical, and he has better agility than we think. We just don't see it very often because of the shiftiness of Bucky Irving, because of the bowling ball nature of Noah Whittington, and the way that they carry the football so consistently and so well. As long as the offensive line does their part, I think that's going to be the best tandem once again in the pack. Speaking of the offensive line, we're just going to be rattling through groups today because I wasn't going to leave out a position group before the season began. But boy... Time comes at you quick, or life comes at you fast, as they say. And tomorrow will be my record prediction for the Ducks with my guy Max Torres. Stay tuned for that. So let's get to the offensive line. So who are those dynamic running backs going to be running behind going into this 2023 season? A lot of different ways this offensive line can play out. I only feel 100% certain, given the injuries, about two of these names. I only feel certain about two. I'm confident in one. The other ones is kind of a crapshoot. So left to right on the offensive line. Well, let's start with the two that I feel best about. I think the tackles are pretty squarely going to be Josh Connerly at left and a Johnny Cornelius, the Rhode Island transfer at right tackle. Those are the only guys that I feel really solid about. I think their backups at left tackle are going to be Feope Lalaulu, as he has been for the last year or two for the Ducks. He was last year. Played more snaps than you probably think a left tackle. And George Silva, the number one offensive tackle from the JUCO ranks, who came in via the portal this year. 
I think he backs up a Johnny Cornelius. I think those are your tackles. At center, Jackson Powers Johnson is one on the depth chart, and Marcus Harper is number two. That's the one that I feel good about, but there are injury questions around uh, JPJ. I'm not entirely certain. I've just kind of heard this, that, and the other thing, but I, I think he's fine. I don't think he's been dealing with anything specifically. Um, I, I've just heard reports of like, ah, you know, he had a nagging thing or he wasn't here or there at anything. But when healthy, it's Jackson Powers Johnson at center. I feel really good about that. And I think Marcus Harper will be the guy to back him up. At left guard, this is where things get tricky. I've seen him play left guard. I've seen him play right guard. I've even seen him play left tackle a little bit. But I think our sixth-year man, Stephen Jones, ends up being the starting left guard. I think he is backed up by either Marcus Harper or Dave Uli. And this is a unit that has to be able to go the, uh, the offensive line, any offensive line, not this one specifically, 8 to 10 deep. Probably at least 8. You'd like to have 9 or 10 you feel good about because we saw how often injuries can plague this unit a year ago. Alex Forsyth was out. Ryan Walk had to step in at center, did a very, very good job. That caused JPJ to start at, at guard. Marcus Harper started at guard when Stephen Jones was out. You're going to have injuries here. You need to have depth with no drop-off. We had that a season ago. I think Stephen Jones is, is your starting left guard. So who does that leave at right guard? Well, I mean, there's only one option remaining for those of you everydayers out there. It's to check out LinkedIn Jobs, of course, because these days every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free, which is really great. So go in there, create a free job post in minutes, which is super easy. Then add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and Higher. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash college. That's LinkedIn.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions to apply. All right, we're just humming along, fueled by the second segment sip. At right guard, I think if healthy, again, he's coming off an injury, Junior Angelau is the starting right guard. He he started for, I think, multiple years at Texas, is an experienced player, the kind of guy who you bring in to be a starter at a guard position. Now, I think his backup, once he gets back from injury, is probably Nishad Strother at guard. At left guard, I think Stephen Jones's backup is either Marcus Harper or Davey Uli, depending on it. This is where things can rotate around. You know, Marcus Harper played left guard primarily last year. JPJ, I think, has moved around left guard and, and right guard a little bit. So these guys do have some positional versatility, and I'm interested to see how that plays out as, as the year goes on. But I think Nishad Strother is a guy who came in and he said he wants to compete for a starting job. That's what he's trying to do. I think the other guys are a tad more talented uh, and experienced than him at, at a higher level of football. So that's why I give them the edge. But I think he'd kind of be a sleeper to start at one of the guard spots, but certainly is someone who I expect to see rotating in uh, eventually over the course of, of this season. 
if and inevitably, unfortunately, when injuries uh, come along the offensive line. So starting five again, Connerly, Jones, JPJ, Angelau, Cornelius, left to right. That's my predicted starting offensive line. Drop your thoughts in the YouTube comments as always, or hit me up on Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. DMs and mentions wide open. Let's move to the wide receivers. We got two more groups to do today. I told you, we're busy, we're jam-packed, let's get to the wideout. So who's Bo Nix throwing the football to in 2023? Well, there's an obvious answer here. There's a really obvious, there's a super-duper obvious answer here. His name is Troy Franklin. So the way I looked at the wide receivers going into this year is you have an X, you have a Z, you have a slot, and then give whatever letter designation you want. I think given the tight end situation, they brought in bodies, but not necessarily you know, guys who you're going to be able to rely on consistently in the passing game. I truly believe that you will see more four wide receiver sets or five wide receiver sets than we saw all of last year. Oregon would go five wide last year, but they would do it out of 12 personnel. Now that was so oftentimes they could call an audible and shift to a run play if the defense gave them a certain look. 12 personnel, for those who don't know, is one back and two tight ends. But I could see us lining up five wide and actually putting four or five wide receivers on the field, which is not something we really did last year. But I think when you look at the offense Will Stein ran at UTSA, the personnel that they have, the players they've brought in, I think we're going to see more instances in which you have four receivers on the field than you did a year ago. So we'll call that the other. I mean, I, I you know every offense can uh, designate it whatever they want, but I think at X, your starter is Troy Franklin. I think he'll be backed up by Kyler Casper who I thought looked really, really good in the spring game and has a lot of potential. Remember, he reclassified to 2022. He's a redshirt freshman going into this year. At Z, Treshawn Holden is, I think, your starting Z receiver, that Chase Cota role from a, from a year ago. I think Holden is just like a bigger version of Chase Cota, who had a great season for the Ducks last season, and or last year, rather. I hate saying season twice in a row. Come on, Spencer, you're better than that. Gary Bryant Jr., I think, is your number two Z. That's a guy who can play slot, or who can line up out wide. And I don't suspect that he came with his caliber of, you know, a recruiting profile, both out of high school and out of the portal coming from USC. He didn't do much last year, but in 2021, he was quite good and productive, had over 500 yards receiving for the Trojans in their air raid offense. I I think he's somebody that is coming in because he expects to play a a decent amount. Now, so too is Treshawn Holden, but again, It's not as if you're only going to see, like the offensive line, you'll see guys rotated in every now and then. But if you're near the top of the, if you're one of the top two guys on the depth chart at receiver, you could be playing up to 40, 50% of the snaps, depending on how things shake out. So Gary Bryant's a guy who has some versatility, can play inside or out. Um, I think he backs up Treshawn Holden at Z. And I think your slot receivers are Tez Johnson first and Chris Hudson second. But again, those guys are pretty interchangeable. Might depend on the situation, what you want to do. Because, you know, Tez Johnson's not very big. He's only about 150, 160 pounds or so. Uh, and he's pretty skinny. Now, he's a dynamic athlete. He is a Charles Nelson type, take the top off the defense, make a big play. We saw that in the spring game. He's someone who you want to get the football to any chance you can. But it's not as if Chris Hudson's a slouch. I, I'm I'm a huge Chris Hudson fan. He's been a really good player for the Ducks for the last several seasons. I have no reason to indicate he can't be again. 
I think he just maybe doesn't have the the volume of touches he's had, but I expect his productivity to, to still be there. So I think those are your slot guys. And then for the four plus wide receiver sets, whether you go four or five, like that's six guys right there. I think other names to watch out for. Jurion Dickey, of course, the five-star incoming. I, I mean, I could frankly see him being a starter by the end of the year. I really could. He arrived in fall camp, so I don't know about right away, but that's a special talent. That is a special, special talent who, as the season goes on, the coaching staff might just say, yeah, we have to get him the football because he's he's too talented. And look, all these guys have traits that, that make you feel good about their potential, but Dickey was a five-star for a reason. I'm excited to see him. And then a couple other names to just kind of follow, see if they get in. Um, Josh Delgado played more than you probably would have thought a season ago. Don't think he had uh, a, a lot of statistical impact, but was on the field every now and then. And then Justice Lowe. Justice Lowe, a three-star from Lake Oswego High School, my alma mater, shout out. They you know, brought him in in the class of 2022. He didn't really play last year, but he was pretty involved in the spring game. I mean, he was getting targets, he was making catches, making plays, looked pretty darn good. So that's where, where I'd stand on, on the wide receiver room there. We are flying through this show, by the way, and we're not done. We're like just over halfway done. The tight ends are a little bit shorter of, of a preview here because it's Terrence Ferguson, it's Patrick Herbert, and I think that's where the the assurance of what you can get from guys kind of ends. Now, those are both four-star recruits, T. Ferg and Patrick Herbert once upon a time. I think T. Ferg is an NFL guy. Herbert has battled injuries, but he's still a good, solid player. I, I think he can take a step forward as a blocker this season, but has been a really solid pass catcher. Like He's had good hands, and he's someone who hasn't had a lot of opportunities, but I think that increases this year, and, and Oregon needs him to step up. You can't get by with just one tight end, even in an offense that could be more wide receiver centric under Will Stein this season, like I was talking about. But I think those are your top two tight ends. I think Casey Kelly, the Ole Miss transfer, is the most experienced and coming from a power five school like Ole Miss probably is in line to see the most action of the guys after the top two. Then it gets interesting. Um, I have got five tight ends listed on here who will all play at some point in time during the season, depending on the game and the matchup and everything like that. I think Caden Ludwig is kind of a depth piece that they brought in. I, I, I think Kenyon Sadiq is your number four tight end here. This could, and, and frankly, if you want a sleeper prediction, as in something that I'll say is a possibility that is kind of under the radar, but also isn't impossible. Here's one for you. Kenyon Sadiq becomes the number two tight end by the end of the season. I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying there is a four out of 10 chance, three, maybe three. We'll go three out of 10 chance that that happens. It's not zero. That guy is a freak athlete. He looked really good in the spring game. He looked fast, explosive. From what I was able to see, he blocked well. If he is able to to bulk up enough because he's kind of that hybrid receiver tight end body type if he is able to hold his own I, I i could definitely see him he is a more explosive athlete mostly because of the injuries than patrick herbert i think he might have been even you know pre-injuries but herbert is a good player and i expect him to be one of oregon's premier tight ends this year don't be surprised if by the end of the year Kenyon sadiq is flying up that depth chart and ends up being the number two guy 
to to Terrence Ferguson. So uh, that's where I stand on on the O line, the receivers, and the tight ends. That's about as condensed as I can make it, which is what we had to do. Bunch of mailbag questions came in the other day. Guess what? Don't know when I'm getting to them. Got to be honest because. We're just loaded going into week one. Might have to have a bonus episode uh, this weekend after the game. We'll just see how it all plays out. Okie dokie. Let's go to the mailbag. I love a good mailbag question. YouTube comments or Twitter, both good ways to reach me. Some people reach out sometimes via Facebook Messenger or Instagram DMs. Not the best. I mean, I'll see it eventually, but if you want to make sure that I see whatever you're saying, Twitter or YouTube comments, especially Twitter is the best way to do it, or X, whatever whatever the heck it is now. So, Oregon XYZ asks, Spencer, I have a mailbag question for you. How much weight do you give to experience for older players versus potential for highly rated newer players? Some guys develop and make great strides, and some kind of just stay the same. It also depends on position, too. That's definitely part of my answer. I think edge is a spot where new players can come in and play, where offensive line is not so much. What say you? Totally agree on the edge versus offensive line comparison. I think it's a lot easier to play to come in and play along the defensive line. I think it's the easiest position to come in and learn right away, which is not to say that it's simple, but you don't have as many complexities or responsibilities as you do in any other spot. You know, it's just a little bit like, yeah, you have gap assignments and you have, you know, contain or sometimes you have to drop into coverage. I'm, I'm not saying it's, you know, straightforward and anyone can do it. But compared to other positions, the, the amount of information you have to learn in the playbook is not uh, quite as extensive. But on the older players versus uh, highly rated newer players, I, I need to see the highly rated players at some point to feel good about them because everybody does, right? Because you're like, well, it's just potential, but at some point you got to see it. But I feel the same way about transfers. Not every transfer works out. Like Caleb Chapman was a transfer that Oregon brought in from Texas A&M last year. I'm sure there were shows and people covering the Ducks, shows like this one or others that were writing about Caleb Chapman as like a potential wide receiver. It never worked out. It never worked out. And I, I, I would hate to see a a player who comes in via the portal take the spot of someone who has a lot of potential who then ends up hitting the portal when that portal guy who originally came into the Ducks didn't work out. So I think that's a coaching staff decision. You know, me personally, I don't really care. Like I see the potential for Kyler Casper, but if Gary Bryan is a better receiver for 2022, that's who I want, or for 2023, that's who I want on the football field. And I think Kyler Casper's potential is immense. But if he is not as good of a football player as Jurion Dickey or, uh, or or Justice Lowe even or, or whoever, I want the best guys on the field. And I, I like talking about that balance between bringing in portal guys, developing high school players, and all that sort of stuff. It is really, really interesting. At the end of the day, it's year by year, and I want to see the best players on the field that give Oregon the best chance to win the pack and get back to the college football playoff. This question from Joel. Hey, Spence, I have a question for the show. I don't think it will happen, and of course I hope it doesn't, but say Bo Nix regresses this year, who is that more a significant indictment on? Himself, Dan Lanning, Will Stein, or is it the loss of Dillingham? I think it'd be a credit to Dillingham first if Bo Nix takes a big step back this year, but if he does 
if he does, and I don't suspect that he will. I don't think he'll be 72% completion last year, but I think he's more than capable with the weapons and uh, the OC that they did bring in and, you know, having the same head coach and the offensive line should have enough talent. He should be in the, you know, high 60s for completion percentage this season. But if he were to take a step back and go to like 64, 63% and have a big drop off there, I think that's 50% on Bo and I think that's 50% on Will Stein. You can definitely look at the loss of Dillingham, but knowing that Bo Nix is capable of playing at that high of a level, if you change OCs and then there's a drop-off, yeah, that's that's a credit to the OC that left and a slight indictment on the one who comes in. I also think that Bo Nix going into year five, guy's seen a lot of football. He knows how to make checks at the line of scrimmage. He knows how to read coverages. He's learned different systems before. I think in a normal scenario, like let's say in 2024, Austin Novus adds the starter and Will Stein's the OC and they they hit it off and everything goes really, really well. And then Will Stein leaves to take a head coaching job and a new OC comes in and then in 2025, Novus adds still starting and then there's a big drop off there. That is an indictment on the offensive coordinator who came in. And on Dan Lanning, partially as well, but primarily on the OC slash quarterbacks coach, which is the role that, that Dan Lanning has on this staff. And that's the one that Will Stein filled that Kenny Dillingham left a void in. So, by the way, side note, Kenny Dillingham is really easy to root for. Really easy to root for. I, I know Oregon fans might feel kind of burned by him, but go look at the way he's handling himself as Arizona State's head coach. That guy is easy to root for. And I'm, and I'm, I'm rooting for him. Not when we play him, and I'm going to talk about that in just a sec, but... If in that scenario I laid out, Novosad starts with Stein in 2024, new OC comes in in 2025, Novosad's there, there's a drop-off, that's on the OC. But in a world in which, like, 80-20, that's on the OC. But in a world where Bo Nix is going into year five of college football and there aren't expected to be big changes to the offense with Will Stein as the offensive coordinator, it'd be 50-50 on, on Bo and Will Stein, for sure. And by default kind of a feather in the cap of Kenny Dillingham that he's, you know, a, a guy who knows how to orchestrate an offense and is just the Bo Nix whisperer as well. Great question, though. So let's talk about Arizona State, speaking of Kenny Dillingham. So the matchup with ASU is the second to last one in the season. And I think this is an opportunity for the Ducks to show once again that some of the demons we've had in the past can be put behind us. And I think we saw it last year when we went down to Arizona. We were kneeling out the clock with Ty Thompson on the field by the time the Arizona game came to a close. That was not a bad Arizona team. That, that was a comparable, I'd say, Arizona team to the Arizona State team that beat us in 2019 when we went down there when we were on the cusp of a college football playoff season. So I think that it was really encouraging. Perhaps the most encouraging thing about Dan Lanning in year one as a head coach like, there are areas where we want him to go. Defense got to be better, got to beat the rivals, got to be able to make adjustments. Those are all valid things to watch for this season for Dan Lanning as a head coach. But one thing we have to be able to give him credit for is like, hey, the Arizona game wasn't ever really close. Hey, the Cal game was close for a second, and then we blew them out and they never came back. Hey, the Colorado game, yeah, that wasn't close either. And if we all call back to 2021, we remember that that just wasn't the case. And we talked a year ago about how, well, you know, it's not all Dan Lanning's rosters, a lot of the same players. Fact check, true. There were some newcomers, for sure. But there were a lot of players from the 2021 team, and they played better. At, they, they did 
better at not playing down to their competition in those games. So I think this is a rebuilding year for Arizona State, who unfortunately, because of the Herm Edwards debacle, won't be able to play in a bowl game this year. I didn't think they were going to make one anyway, but it stinks they can't even have that option available to them for reasons completely outside of their control with actions performed by people that are not at the school anymore who pay no consequence for this. I think that part of it stinks. I think this game for Arizona State is not a tune-up before Oregon State. I think they're better than, you know, like Portland State is a tune-up for Texas Tech. Hawaii is a te- is a tune-up for Pac-12 play. Arizona State is better than that. And they may very well, at least in week one they will be, and I'll be calling the game for Southern Utah on, on radio tomorrow. They are going to start Jaden Rashada, the true freshman. I'll be interested to see if they stay with him for the entire season. That's what I would do because if – you know, looking back at the 2016 season, it's the same situation. You're in a rebuilding year. We didn't know that at the time, but Arizona State, I think, should have a better idea of that. You have a young, talented quarterback. Get him the reps. Get him the exposure. Let him make mistakes. Go out there and just play a season. Try to make him as prepared as possible for the following year. And if I could do 2016 over again, I would start Justin Herbert week one and week two. And, you know, it was Dakota Prukop instead, and that experiment didn't work so well. So, that's why I, I wonder if they will do that because Jaden Rashada wasn't going to start, but then Drew Pine got hurt, the Notre Dame transfer. So will he still be the starter by the time, you know, week 12 rolls around, which is our 11th game of the year? Maybe, maybe not. But I feel really confident about Oregon's ability to go in and get a win there and all the better idea of what Arizona State looks like after I see them in person uh, against Southern Utah on Thursday. But overall, I, I think that, you know, the demons that we have, understandably so, and I have them as well about, you know, going to the desert late in the year and such. Maybe it's different because it's later in the season and the pressure could be on, but I think Oregon will be just fine in that game. They've got a lot more talent across the board. I feel better about the quarterback situation. And generally when it's mentor against mentee, the mentor has the advantage. We would have uh, the mentor in that scenario, that being Dan Lanning to Kenny Dillingham. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. What a jam-packed show that was. Gosh, that was good. Max Torres tomorrow. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.